Welcome to the Traveling On Radio Show, your premier source for travel news and information, featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, the Traveling On Radio Show. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on the Traveling On Radio Show. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, coming, broadcasting uh, live from our humble little studios in the Metro Washington, D.C. area. We're really happy to be your travel partners during the next hour and every Tuesday. And it's always good to be with you on the Traveling On show, and we've got a great show for you today. Author and explorer John Blashford Snell will join us to talk about his upcoming expedition to Bolivia and his work with the Just a Drop Foundation. National Geographic author John Burmaster stops by to chat about his journey down the coast of Vietnam in his new book, Descending the Dragon. And Canadian anthropologist and host of the National Geographic and History television series, Light at the Edge of the World, Wade Davis will also join us to talk about his recent travels to Peru, Borneo, Tibet, and northern Kenya. And finally, Teresa Williamson will tell us about the U.S. tour of the Shams Ensemble, an Iranian female music group spreading a message of peace, even though their government bans their performances at home. If you want to join us... Uh, but first, we'd like to invite you to sign up for our Traveling On Club newsletter and also play our Traveling Trivia Contest to win great prizes. And you can do both at our website at traveln-on.com. That's T-R-A-V-E-L-N-O-N.com. And uh, we are giving away um, the newest release from our music partner, uh, Putumayo World Music, uh, called Cafe Cubano, which you'll be hearing a little bit of throughout the show. So uh, stay tuned. Go, go visit the website and play. Now, I'm really excited about our first guest, John Blashford Snell. Colonel Snell has been described as a combination of explorer, innovative engineer, social worker, youth leader, soldier, animal lover, and conservationist, having organized and led over 70 expeditions to the remotest places on Earth. This remarkable, remarkable man has an unrivaled breadth of experience, and his challenging adventures are legendary. They've won a lot of, uh, of accolades in the press, and... Um, not so much for their physical achievements, but for what they've done for people, fauna, and flora. And I'm so happy to uh, to have him with us today to share his thoughts on his upcoming expedition to Bolivia called Cotomama 7. And uh, Colonel Snell is uh, joining us on the line today from the United Kingdom. And I'd like to uh, welcome you to our Traveling On radio show. Well, we may not have Colonel Snell uh, with us right now. We, uh, uh, it's about six hours ahead of, uh, of time in, in England, but I'm uh, looking forward to, to chatting with him uh, very, very soon. He's a fellow countryman of mine. I, I lived for uh, a few years in, in England and uh, I had a wonderful time, and so I, I consider the U.K. my home, too. But uh, moving on from that, um, one of the things that, that Ian and I wanted to share with you that we didn't get an opportunity to, to talk about uh, a lot on last week's show was um, our, our trip to um, uh, our stay at the Fairmont uh, Chateau Lake Louise. And, uh, and, and just the, uh, the, the lovely, uh, lovely time we had there. I know that... Um, uh, Kurt from um, from the uh, uh, tourism office um, talked about the the color of the lakes and and uh, all sorts of uh, just the, the beautiful uh, beautiful arrangements uh, there natural arrangements. But um, we actually had an interview uh, with the general manager of the Chateau Lake Louise that we will be playing on our 8 p.m. show tonight. And so if you visit our website at traveln-on.com, the radio page, and uh, click on the, uh, the show logo at 8 p.m., you'll be able to stream that interview live. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, 
hopefully, if we uh, do get a chance to uh, talk to Colonel Snell, is uh, just this wonderful uh, exhibition or expedition, as uh, as is properly said, the uh, Kodamama series, and uh, it has really shed life on some of the ancient. Uh, cultures in uh, Bolivia and in South America, and uh, Cotamama itself means Mother of the Lake, and it's uh, really a story about the Bolivian Amira Indians who uh, who built reed boats uh, to, uh, to kind of tame this lake, which is really a, a very powerful waterway, and uh, uh, Colonel Snell has, uh, has done uh, so much uh, uh, to uh, promote... Uh, uh, exploration through his efforts in uh, the UK and uh, throughout the world, uh, really reaching out to young people, and it's one of those things that's really, uh, you know, pretty important in this day and age uh, when uh, when there's so much tumult out there. There's uh, always the reminder of uh, just some of the beautiful uh, parts of this world that we have that uh, very few of us get a chance to explore. Isn't that right, dear? That that's correct. That's correct, and. You know, he um, uh, he's had a uh, just a wonderful, uh, beautiful history. Uh, he's had just a, a beautiful history of uh, of exploration, starting in 1969, following the success of the Blue Nile mm-hmm. expedition. And he's worked very closely with uh, the Prince of Wales and. Uh, England and uh, to uh, to put together several foundations and, and several outreach initiatives. One of them known as Raleigh International, which has introduced over 10,000 young men and women to adventure to help develop their leadership qualities. And uh, this has uh, uh, gone into other areas like the Fair Bridge Drake Society, which uh, is to help disadvantage youth. And so he's he's really a humanitarian and an adventurer, and it, it really speaks that he's trying to bring up this younger generation to kind of get them to have more of these sensory experiences that uh, we often miss out in the concrete jungle, as uh, as he likes to say. Yes, indeed, and, and one of the other things that I really want to talk to him about uh, when we get him on the line is, uh, is his work with Just a Drop Foundation. Uh, Ian and I actually... Um, you know, one of our one of our values is global citizenship and giving back to our community. And he um, he has uh, he's just done wonderful, wonderful things. It's just a drop foundation, and I'll let him um, elaborate. Um, it will a, l- a little bit later. We may not have him uh, have him today. Um, but uh, it 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 is uh, designed to provide fresh water for communities around uh, you know around the world underdeveloped uh, communities. It's a wonderful wonderful uh, program, very similar to Play Pumps, another one of our favorite charities here. Yeah, yeah, we sometimes take water for granted uh, just because. Uh, just because it's ubiquitous, we're so used to having it available. And uh, clean water is really a foundation of a of a strong society, and it's, uh, it just speaks again to uh, to the great things that he's doing to try to tie nature back to how we're living and how we need to really improve communities and can use efforts such as exploration to to teach about nature, to to teach about that. Uh, uh, world that we so often miss out on. So, uh, uh, but uh, in any event, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's just a a, a slew of, um, of of wonderful things that he's done. I mean, one of the things that I'm really um, proud of him for is. Um, in addition, <laughs> you know he's won he's won some awards. Uh, he is um, uh, he helped form the Scientific Exploration Society to foster and encourage scientific exploration worldwide. Uh, he has actually uh, traveled with the the Prince of Wales 
uh, or, to, or founded an operation uh, with the Prince of Wales called Operations Drake in Raleigh, now called Raleigh International, which introduced over 10,000 young men and women to adventure with a purpose, um, thereby really creating and developing their leadership uh, qualities. And um, as a result of his success, the Fairbridge Drake Society was formed to help disadvantaged young people. And so um, certainly, uh, you know, a true... Uh, a true humanitarian and, um, and certainly we, uh, are probably going to have to, uh, reschedule him for a, uh, another time, um, just because of the, uh, the time in, in the UK. And, uh, uh, but we're certainly going to have an, have him on our show in the very near future. But when we come back, we're going to take a, a quick break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk to another John, a friend of ours, um, John Bowermaster, um, explorer, author, and filmmaker. And he has a wonderful, interesting story to talk about um, uh, his, uh, his trip in a kayak. Uh, along the coast of Vietnam, which is, uh, was, was a feat in and of itself just to, just to arrange it. And so, uh, we're gonna, when we come back, we'll, we'll, uh, be talking to, um, to John and uh, to learn more about his trip, which has been, uh, detailed in his new book, Descending the Dragon. You're listening to the Traveling on Radio Show. We're your host, Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and, uh, we will see you on the other side of this break. And- Where can you book all of your travel needs at the best price? Purchase the latest travel gear and get the most current and comprehensive travel news and information? Travelinon.com. That's travelin-on.com. Whether you're a seasoned traveler, novice, or whether you're planning a long trip or looking for a weekend getaway, travelinon.com as the tools to complete your travel plans. Go to TravelInOn.com. That's TravelIn-On.com, the traveler's best resource. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? Would you feel scared or proud? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Would you rather make your own way or spend a lifetime saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or go to peacecorps.gov. Whether you're traveling by plane, train, or automobile, make travelingon.com your first stop. At travelingon.com, that's travelin-on.com, you can get current travel news and information, buy the latest travel book, and find those great travel bargains. Visit travelingon.com, your premier source for all things travel. That's travelin-on.com, and make sure to sign up for email specials and tune into the Travel and On radio show each week for a chance to win some great travel prizes. Looking for the latest travel book, the hottest item in travel gear and clothing? Or are you researching a destination or looking into the most current travel regulations or warnings? If so, visit TravelinOn.com, your one-stop shop for travel resources. At TravelinOn.com, that's TravelN-On.com, you can get the latest travel news and information and shop for all of your travel needs. TravelinOn.com is your premier source for all things travel. That's TravelN-On.com. Tom Gilmore lives on a farm. There's a storm on the way, so he's boarding up the windows of his house. Haley Williams lives in an apartment. It's a beautiful day. She's making her usual monthly donation to the American Red Cross. Tom doesn't know a tornado will leave his family with no place to go. Haley doesn't know her gift will help give Tom's family shelter. When you support the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. This is the Traveling On Radio Show, bringing you a world of travel news and information. Once again, let's join your hosts, Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Well, welcome back, everybody, after that short break. And uh, as I mentioned, um, the 
the music selection, a clip from Putumayo World's Music Cafe Cabano, which is what we're giving away, the CD that we're giving away in our travel and trivia contest. So please go online, uh, www.travelnd-on.com to play trivia and possibly win. And do you remember, and, <laughs> I was just going to say, you love dancing to this music, don't you? This uh, Cafe <laughs> Cubano CD. It's uh, truly, I, uh, truly got some great great tracks on it doesn't it i i love the cd i it, you know it's uh it, it it i envision myself sometimes listening to one one particular track uh, i love the entire cd but one particular track i love driving to unfortunately it 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 causes me to speed a little bit <laughs> uh because it's just real good exciting music but um uh, it's uh, it's well worth, and you know, as we mentioned to our audience, uh, Putumayo World Music is our official music sponsor, and so every month we get their newest uh, their newest CD, and um, uh, we give that away in our uh, in our travel and trivia contest. And you know, they're simple questions, um, and uh, you know, all you have to do really is kind of Google. And uh, in, in uh, answer, and um, you know, you have a stand a good chance of uh, of winning, and and we give away other prizes too on travel and uh, trivia, like um, travel related prizes, um, disposable toothbrushes, and all that good stuff. But we'll talk about that later. Right now, I'm going to uh, Ian is going to introduce our next guest, a good friend of ours who I'm excited to have on our show, who's a uh, come back recently from a whirlwind trip, a couple of them. That he has, explorer, author, and filmmaker John Bowermaster has pretty much done it all. John joins us to talk about his new book, Descending the Dragon, My Journey Down the Coast of Vietnam. John went to Vietnam not knowing much about its culture or its people, but over seven years he got to know the place and its people. He spent many days with both the rich and poor of Vietnam. John, welcome to Traveling On. Yeah, thank you very much. How are you guys? We are doing good here. John, just wanted to uh, share with our audience about about your journey. Tell us about this 800-mile journey uh, down Vietnam's coastline by a kayak. Uh, just just give us the sense of, of uh, what, what you experienced with uh, your team. Well, you know, I, as an American, I always felt, or for a long time felt, that we just didn't know much about North Vietnam. You know, when when we went back there with kayaks in 2001, it was 25 years after uh, the big fighting had ended there, but I still felt that there was an incredible lack of knowledge. My images about Vietnam came, like, like so many people, from the movies. You know, I would think of Deer Hunter or Apocalypse Now, but that has very little to do with Vietnam of today. So, you know, I, my, my passion is uh, kayaking, and uh, with the support of the National Geographic, we've done many, many kayaking trips around the world. And when we were looking at Asia for a big trip, I, I knew that we would go to Vietnam. So it took me a couple years to convince the government in Hanoi. They weren't really wild about the idea. Um, largely because, you know, Vietnam's a very poor country. They don't have any leisure time. There aren't a lot of kayaks. They just didn't quite understand why we would want to do it in that form. But I convinced them that uh, this was a great way for us to kind of meet the people from sea level, and uh, eventually, after a bit of arm-twisting, they went for it. Now, one of the great things about uh, kayak, it's a smaller craft. It, it allows you to go into places where, where a larger boat uh, can't go. How does that uh, help? I guess in the terms of, uh, of 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 exploring Vietnam and exploring some of these places that may not be that accessible by uh, other watercraft. Well, we you know we traveled down the coastline, down the edge of Vietnam, and many of the places we stopped just wouldn't have been accessible by land. Mm -hmm. um, many of them were islands. Many of them were coves that had no road access. And the beauty of of us arriving by kayak is when we pulled up on shore. We met people who, you know, live and depend on the sea and who spend most of their time in boats. So to them, we seem just like uh, brethren, you know, who, who they, they, I mean, they never once asked us, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. They wanted to know why the, what, what the kayaks were made of, why they were these bright colors, and particularly amongst the men on our team, why we had hair on our legs. But they never said, <laughs> why are you here? No, no, John, you, you described uh, in, in, in your foreword just some of the, uh, the, the, 
the challenges, you know, the, the cultural and political challenges uh, that you encountered. Uh, I know you just touched on those a little bit, but but uh, uh, it goes a little bit deeper than that. Um, what did it really take in order to to make this adventure possible? Did it take any intervention from our government um, or, or persuasion from our government to allow you to do this at all? Well, you know, of course, I spoke with the U.S. Embassy in Hanoi when we were preparing this, and, and they were not unhelpful, but they weren't particularly helpful either. No, I, you know, I went over to Hanoi a year in advance to kind of plead my case, and the very sweet man who runs the Foreign Press Center just looked up at me through a cloud of cigarette smoke and said, oh, that will be quite impossible. Um, and then it took about a year of kind of uh, negotiations. He was looking for a filming permit, which I think you could translate as a bribe. Uh, of course, they were going to send a monitor with us 24-7. And, it, you know, our, our being allowed to enter came with a stipulation that we would allow them to censor our raw video before we left the country. And plus, I think you had uh, you you had to agree to um, an escort your entire trip too. Yeah, is that absolutely. correct? You know, we, you know, any journalist from the West who arrives in uh, in Vietnam must be accompanied uh, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, by a by a government supplied monitor. And so, yeah, we 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 were assigned a fellow named Lin, and he became just really just became part of our adventure. He was with us every day. Some days he would hire a boat to follow us. Other days he'd, he'd observe us from land. It kind of depended where we were and who he thought we might meet during the course of the day. Mm-hmm. Is, is he, uh, incidentally, the gentleman pictured on the cover of your book? Uh, no. In, there's a, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, no. We, he, he was great for us. He, he, his, pr- prior to, to working with us, he had done a, an assignment with the Food Channel, so he'd get he traveled around do, Vietnam just doing nothing but eating good food, which is a job he really <laughs> liked. Uh, he was not, you know, in in many ways he was bizarre and perfect for us. He 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 didn't like the water. I'm not convinced he could swim. Uh, his mm-hmm. passion was karaoke. His uh, favorite singer was Elvis, and his favorite song was "Love Me Tender." <laughs> oh bless he, yeah, you know, each it's, day, uh, I, each day I would ask him why he felt it was necessary that he monitor us, that he follow us. You know, he was assigned by the government, and this is a government that doesn't believe in some of the same things we do, such as freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom of press. And he would resolutely respond to me by saying that he was only long to make sure we only met people who told the truth. <laughs> interesting, interesting. And, and I, would, I would ask how he recognized them, how he knew it, how yeah. he could tell a truth teller from a non-truth teller. Interesting, hmm. uh, John. I, I wanted to I wanted to ask you about uh, about about the team you took with you and uh, just what it's like to to shoot film and uh, do this uh, under, undertaking on the kayak. You've got to get crews in place. You've got filming to do and uh, photography and all of that. Tell us, give us a sense of of, of some of what was going on behind the scenes there. Well, you know, we've done uh, over a course of a ten-year ten-year project. We traveled. We did, we did eight big expeditions by sea kayak, each on a different continent, and always with a very small group, four or five people. Myself, I do the writing, and then I would take a photographer and a videographer, and then the other one or two people were generally somebody from the country we were in, either to help us with language uh, issues or just for the knowledge of the of the place. Um, and it's really tricky assignment for the photographer and photographer for the photographer and videographer because you know you're spending a lot of time traveling by kayak you can't really make good pictures while you're in a kayak um you have to be very concerned about the elements you know salt water is disastrous for either of the any of that equipment um and you have to be able to kind of be spontaneous and get to shore and get in and out of the boat and 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 so that it kind of doubles the uh, the pressure on on the uh, the filmmaker and and the photographer. Um, in Vietnam, I specifically took a photographer who was a, a great portrait photographer. His name is Rob Howard, and he's a Canadian but has lived in New York for a long time. And he makes beautiful black and white portraits. And I chose him because we were, I knew we were going to be meeting hundreds, 
thousands of people a day and, and that this was going to be really a people story. I mean, we use the kayaks, so it, you know, and we use adventure to kind of draw people into the stories. But, you know, my main interest are the people we meet along the way and, you know, the cultural and environmental issues they're kind of dealing with. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there were some just breathtaking parts of that Vietnam coastline but your book, as you had mentioned, was shot in black and white. Was that a conscious choice to do that as opposed to using color? Well, we, we shot a lot of color as well. Um, but the color was really more about the kayaking adventures. And there's, there are a few of those pictures in the book. But, yeah, the book is comprised mostly of the beautiful black and white portraits of, of people. No, we, I think Rob shot actually far more color than black and white. But we really wanted this book to be about the people we met because I think that's often... Uh, overlooked in in some of the re- re- reporting that you see about the different parts of the world is sometimes the people are kind of left off and with a focus on the landscape. Um, but again, our our trips are all about uh, the, the people we meet along the course of our travels. Now, John, the the book is gorgeous, and and in uh, next couple of, the last couple of minutes that we have left. Um, what do you want to people to take away from your journey from from the book? I mean, it, it's a it's a beautifully illustrated uh, book, uh, wonderful uh, wonderful stories. What what are you trying? What is your mission for this book? Well, one of one of the things that you'll hear when you visit Vietnam is that uh, you know Vietnam is is a nation. We have a tendency in the United States to uh, when we hear Vietnam, we immediately link it to to another word, which is war. Mm-hmm. And I think what the Vietnamese people would be very happy with is if, you know, they, their, the name of their country and the name of their peoples were kind of divorced from this continual linkage to war. Um, you know, it's a, have a very vital economy in, in Vietnam. It's only one of two places in the world operating, uh, you know, a free market economy under a communist government, the other, of course, being China. And so it's a work in progress to, to a bit, but things are getting better. You know, I've been to Vietnam a half dozen times. I'm not convinced I've ever met a communist. You know, I mean, I'm not sure that ideology is what reigns there in Vietnam. I think they're like all the rest of the world. You know, they want better jobs, better education for their kids, better health care, and, 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 and that's about it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think what my goal was to try and change the image that people have of Vietnam. So if you pick up our book and look at it and flip through it and look at, at least look at the photos, you'll, think, you'll start thinking of how Vietnam looks in a different way. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you're in New York right now. Um, are you coming to D.C. to, to Actually, do a presentation uh, in the next week or so to uh, about your book? Well, surprise, surprise. I'm in D.C. <laughs> oh, you are? I thought you yeah. Well, how about that? Yeah, no, I'm in D.C. Uh-huh. I'm doing a talk at the National Geographic uh, at, at, uh, Society tonight at 17th and M at 7.30, all about this Ocean's 8 project, uh, including the trip to Vietnam. Well, you know that's funny because our last email communication—you said the seventh and eighth, but but uh, but I was told you were in New York. So, and so you're here, and you didn't call us, John. How about that? Well, we'll 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 take this as a, as a, as our communication, yeah, exactly. <laughs> as our contact. <laughs> and so, um, just once again, you're at uh, you're presenting at National Geographic tonight at half past seven for those in the Washington D.C. area. That's right, and we'll get you out of there. Uh, before the plenty of time to get home for the debate. Yes, that's important tonight. <laughs> good deal, good deal. Well, um, John, we appreciate you joining us today. And um, gosh, uh, if I had I known, I would have taken you out. We would have taken you out to lunch. Well, um, next, but, next time. but you'll be here a couple of days, so we'll we'll touch base. Um, and perhaps the next time you go on uh, on an expedition, you uh, may want to take a radio crew with you. <laughs> Maybe just a thought. If, if that, that's one option. The other is, is uh, calling in from the, from the from the trail, so to speak. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not shy about asking. So yeah, uh, I think that's a really good idea. <laughs> well, we'll circle back with that. But uh, thank you so much for for joining us today on the Traveling on Radio uh-huh. Show. Uh, we're we're your host Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and when we come back, we are actually going to go on another adventure with the National Geographic Explorer and Residence, Wade Davis. We'll see you on the other side of this break. Whether you're traveling by plane, train, or automobile, 
MakeTravelingOn.com your first stop. At TravelingOn.com, that's TravelIn-On.com, you can get current travel news and information, buy the latest travel book, and find those great travel bargains. Visit TravelingOn.com, your premier source for all things travel. That's TravelIn-On.com, and make sure to sign up for email specials and tune into the Traveling On radio show each week for a chance to win some great travel prizes. Joel Klein catches a 7 o'clock train after his evening CPR class at the American Red Cross. Ron Garrett is on the same train. He's had a rough day and doesn't feel like himself. Until he feels the sudden tightness in his chest, Ron never thought he'd actually have a heart attack. Until Joel is administering CPR, he never thought he'd actually save a life. When you train with the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. Where can you book all of your travel needs at the best price? Purchase the latest travel gear and get the most current and comprehensive travel news and information? Travelinon.com. That's travelin-on.com. Whether you're a seasoned traveler, novice, or whether you're planning a long trip or looking for a weekend getaway, travelinon.com as the tools to complete your travel plans. Go to TravelInOn.com. That's TravelIn-On.com, the traveler's best resource. BronzeWorldTravel.com is your one-stop travel store where you can find the best travel values available at the most competitive prices. Whether you're booking a cruise, flight, car, or vacation package, they have so many great travel deals that you'll make them your first choice when it comes to travel. Visit them today at BronzeWorldTravel.com. You'll also find a link to BronzeWorldTravel.com on the Travelin' On website. BronzeWorldTravel.com, where they celebrate life through travel. It's your home, it's your dream. Great on testing, keep it healthy and clean. Make it green, green, green. Making it green is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Testing for radon is easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green, green, green. A message from the US EPA. Well, <laughs> I love this music. How can you not love this music? How can you not think about dancing when you hear it? Again, this is a track from Putumayo World Music's uh, newest release, Cafe Cubano. Indeed uh, it is. And it's uh, something that a lucky Traveling On listener can win by playing uh, Travel and Trivia. And uh, they can go right to www.travelin-on.com to enter and win. Absolutely. Well, you know, today, dear, we, we've had a, a show full of adventure, and uh, we're going to continue uh, the adventure with uh, with Wade Davis, who is a National Geographic Explorer in residence, and Wade is very passionate about talking about the ethnos ethnosphere. That's a bit of a tongue twister for me, um, and uh, it's it's his word, and uh, it's basically defines uh, the imagination contributions of humanity to the planet. Everything from dreams to scientific theories to stories. And, you know, things we may not even think about as global resources, uh, but they truly are. And uh, Wade believes they are threatened by rampant modernization and globalization. And he's here to explain his uh, his theories and share his theories uh, with us. Wade, welcome to Traveling On Radio Show. Hi, how are you? Uh, we're, we're, we're good, thank you. Thank you for being with us, Wade. My pleasure. I think it's funny that you got onto that tongue twister ethnosphere. You know that? That was just a word I made up. You know, you, you, everybody's heard of the biosphere, which mm-hmm. is sort of the biological web of life. And I only, you know, made up that word in a book called Light at the Edge of the World as a, as a kind of an organizing principle to encourage uh, people to begin to think and remember that there's another kind of web of life, and that's the web of humanity's own legacy. And 
you know, the, and I define the ethnosphere as sort of being the sum total of all thoughts and dreams and ideas and myths and even intuitions and inspirations brought into being by the human imagination since the dawn of consciousness. I'm really talking about the human legacy. And the reason it's so important is that you hear so much about the loss of uh, biological species, the loss of habitat, the, the last loss of animals and plants, but you hear very little uh, about the loss of human cultures and about the loss of languages. And the great kind of, uh, if you will, canary in the coal mine is, in fact, language loss. And, and this sort of the statistic that takes everybody's breath away is the fact that when we were born, both of you and myself, uh, there were roughly 7,000 languages spoken on Earth. Now, a language isn't just vocabulary and grammar. It's kind of a flash of the human spirit. It's a way that the soul of any particular culture comes into the world. Every language you could think of as an old-growth forest of the mind. And of those 7,000 languages spoken the day that we were born, you know, fully half aren't being whispered in the ears of children, which means they're on the road to extinction, which means by any definition that we're living through a time when fully half of humanity's sort of social and spiritual, intellectual legacy is being lost. And that's something we should all be aware of. Now, Wade, it's, it's interesting that, uh, that you bring that up, but I, but I want to go back to, to one of the things that you do with the concept of ethnosphere, is that you connect dreams to scientific theories. We often hear a lot about formalized science theories and so forth, but, but, but you've got dreams in there, and the dreams really harken back to, to when we're children and to that very imaginative place that many of us, as we get older, we kind of we lose sight of. But I, I, I think it's important to kind of speak to that side there because oftentimes what's, what's, what's deemed as important is the scientific, it's the formalized knowledge and, and thought out there. But we don't really think about dreams in that way. Well, but I think when you... you I think at a, even a deeper level, what I'm sort of trying to suggest, and I think what all anthropologists are suggesting, is that the, you know, the great revelation of biology is that we're all brothers and sisters. And what I mean by that is we're all, by definition, cut from the same genetic cloth. You know, studies of the human genome leave little doubt that all of humanity is descended from, you know, roughly, possibly as few as a thousand people who walked out of Africa some 55,000, 60,000 years ago. But the, the, if we accept the fact that we're all genetically cut from the same cloth, what that really means is every culture that you've ever encountered has the same kind of raw, basic human genius, the same intellectual capacity. And whether that genius goes into technological wizardry, which has been the great achievement of the West, or whether it goes into understanding, for example, the nature of a dream or unraveling the complex threads of memory inherent in a myth is simply a matter of choice and cultural orientation. And so what, what this suggests is that there is really no trajectory of progress per se in the affairs of human cultures. There's no ladder to success that conveniently places Victorian England, say, at the apex and um, you know, and then going down the rungs of the ladder, you encounter the so-called primitives of the world. There are really only options, and those options have very different and profound uh, consequences. You know, we tend in the West to think not of ourselves as a culture, but as somehow the real world moving inexorably forward, and that these other cultures are somehow, you know, failed attempts at being us, failed attempts at being modern, you know, perhaps quaint and colorful, but destined to fade away as if by natural law. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. First of all, in every case, these cultures are dynamic living peoples being driven out of existence by identifiable forces, and those forces can be egregious industrial decisions, they can be um, uh, dreadful ideologies in the case of the Chinese domination, for example, the Tibetan Buddhists, they can be diseases, it can be well-intentioned development projects, whatever. These cultures are being impacted by concrete phenomena, and that's actually an, uh, an optimistic observation because it suggests that if human beings are the agents of cultural destruction, we can be the facilitators of cultural survival. And the important thing is that these different worldviews represent different options of life itself and different ways in particular of interacting with um, the environment. 
you know, it, it's fascinating. Um, I, I've made films, for example, on the subject of sacred geography in Peru. And what I mean by sacred geography is not sort of a, a slogan from Hallmark cards or, or a, sort of a slogan from hippie ethnography. What I mean is what does it... What are the consequences of a world in which people truly believe the earth is alive, resident, responsive to the human imagination, as in the case of the Southern Andes, where every community believes that there is a mountain deity that overlooks the community and that both directs the destiny of the individual, but the individuals have an obligation to the mountain. Well, that whether the mountain is a deity or not is not the interesting question. The interesting question is that a people who believe that a mountain is a spirit being are going to have a different relationship to it than, for example, a kid in Canada raised to believe that a mountain is a pile of rock ready to be mined. You know, I, I was raised in the forests of British Columbia mm-hmm. uh, to believe that those forests existed to be cut. I mean, that was the foundation of the ideology of scientific forestry that I learned in school and that I practiced as a logger in the woods. Uh, that made me very different than my friends amongst the First Nations of the Pacific Northwest, in the case of the Kwagyu, for example, who believe that those same forests were the abode of Hukuk and the crooked beak of heaven and the cannibal spirits that dwelt at the north end of the world that would have to be engaged during the Hamatsa initiation by the youth so that they would bring the wisdom back to the community in the potlatch. Now, it, you know, whether that forest was the, uh, the domain of spirit beings or whether it was mere cellulose and bored feet is, again, not really the interesting question. The interesting question is how the different culture, through its belief system, ends up interacting in different ways with that place. So that I, for example, was part of a culture that in a mere couple hundred years have literally torn down the ancient forests. The people of the Kwagyulth have lived there for at least 1,500 years, having had a very small footprint on the land. You know, I, I recently came back from making a film, which we're now editing at the National Geographic, on dreaming in the dream time mm-hmm. among the Aboriginal people of Australia. And, you know, this is, this, is, this is an extraordinary thing to experience, and it was only by being on country with Aboriginal people that I came to understand this very elegant notion of the dreaming. You know, um, this, the whole idea of the civilization of the Australian Aboriginal was based on a, an idea, what was a concept of, which was absolutely the opposite of what we have embraced in the West. If you, if you had to identify one hallmark of the West, since it, at least since the Enlightenment, arguably from the time of the Greeks, it would be the notion of progress and improvement. You know, we take it as a given uh, that not only people can and should, but are able to improve upon their lot to improve their lives, whether it means material improvement, uh, political improvement, or spiritual improvement. That mm. idea is antithetical to the Aust- Australian Aborigine mind. The, mm-hmm. in, in Australia, the whole purpose of human life is to do the ritual activities that are conceived to maintain the earth exactly as it was at the first dawning. Wait in on our no. closing minutes here. I, I just wanted to uh, let our listeners know that you are the keynote featured speaker at the upcoming Ecotourism and Sustainable Tourism Conference in Vancouver coming this October 27th through the 29th. And I know this is a, this is a great honor for you. And uh, just want to let people know about that. And uh, clearly, you are a person who has a lot to say, and I think you've got a lot of lessons us if we're open to them that kind of speak to where we are as a, as a civilization, as a people, and all of those things that we choose to define ourselves by. Uh, but I just want to give you a chance to uh, perhaps preview some of the things that uh, that uh, you're going to touch on uh, in that keynote address. Well, I'll probably be speaking on you know some of these same themes. And again, you know, the, 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 my, my interest in all this is not to sort of do a lament for disappearing worlds or or you know a, a dirge-like kind of depressing you know uh, account of people being killed. I mean, on the contrary, my my whole. My, you know, I, I've always felt that you know polemics are never persuasive, and politicians really lead more, uh, follow more than they lead. But storytellers can change the world. And what we're trying to do at the National Geographic, I mean, how you know, if, if the trends that I've identified are true, what can we do about it? And and the answer is to change the way we think and value and view culture. And I think the best way to do that is through the celebration of culture. And so what I'll be doing in Vancouver at that keynote. 
um, really is to is to share from my experience, whether it's with the you know the wayfinders of Polynesia, the greatest navigators in the history of humanity, or whether it's with the shaman in the Amazon, or the voodoo priests in Haiti and West Africa, or the wandering mystics of the Sahara, or the Buddhist monks of Nepal and Tibet, or indeed the um, Mongolian um, nomadic herders with whom I was recently with in, in, in the great steppes of Central Asia, or in fact the Aboriginal people of Australia, to celebrate through this, you know, evocation of who these people are and the wisdom that they've achieved and the visions that they've had, this overall tapestry of the human spirit. The goal isn't to sort of freeze people in time like zoological specimens. The issue isn't the modern versus the traditional. It's really the question of what kind of world do we all want to live in? A kind of monochromatic world of monotony, or do we want to celebrate a polychromatic world of diversity? Well, hopefully it will be the latter, Wade, and uh, again, it's it has been great having you with us. Uh, you know, for those folks who are in the Vancouver area, you'll have a chance to see Wade at the Sustainable Tourism Conference there, uh, Ecotourism and Sustainable Conference later this month. Wade, we thank you for being with us, and best of luck to you and all of your future endeavors. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Our pleasure, Wade. Thank you. You're listening to the Traveling On Radio Show, and when we return, we will take an international music adventure with the Psalms Ensemble. You're listening to the Traveling On Radio Show. Whether you're traveling by plane, train, or automobile, make TravelingOn.com your first stop. At TravelingOn.com, that's TravelIn-On.com, you can get current travel news and information, buy the latest travel book, and find those great travel bargains. Visit TravelingOn.com, your premier source for all things travel. That's travelin-on.com. And make sure to sign up for email specials and tune into the Travel and On radio show each week for a chance to win some great travel prizes. Looking for the latest travel book, the hottest item in travel gear and clothing? Or are you researching a destination or looking into the most current travel regulations or warnings? If so, visit TravelinOn.com, your one-stop shop for travel resources. At TravelinOn.com, that's TravelN-On.com, you can get the latest travel news and information and shop for all of your travel needs. TravelinOn.com is your premier source for all things travel. That's TravelN-On.com. Would it be crazy if you packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself? Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Well, he moved early. That's going to draw the yellow flag. Offsides, number 72, five yards. Check out this fan leaving the game. He's headed straight up the middle and right into a sobriety checkpoint. Let's see how he handles it. No, officer. I haven't been drinking. I'm the designated driver. Upon further review, this fan made the right call by being a designated driver. Sign up to be the designated driver at the stadium and always buckle up. You could follow your favorite NFL team to the Super Bowl. Provided as a public service by the station at Team Coalition. You know, there's something about music I just love. Just music that there's some music that just touches your your soul. And uh, maybe I was. Uh, Maybe I was Cuban in a past life. I don't know, but it, this music just touches me. Who knows, but uh, I know how much you love this music just from uh, dancing last night, even with our cat. <laughs> the dance, I didn't get a chance to share. Yeah, Erwin's uh, a good dancer. <laughs> but, you know, music is, is, is just a, a beautiful um, spiritual experience to me, and if you're in the New York, Washington, D.C., or Los Angeles area, you're about to discover what San Francisco already knows, that the Shams Ensemble blend of traditional Persian mystic Sufi 
and Kurdish music is all about promoting peace and freedom. Um, this group, which, uh, which was formed shortly after the Islamic Revolution in uh, 1979, which forbids women vocalists and musicians uh, for perf- uh, from performing on stage, is actually touring our country. And uh, we are excited to have uh, my newest good friend, Teresa Williamson, the Shams Ensemble U.S. Liaison, joining us on the phone from California. Teresa, welcome to Traveling On. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. How are you? It's good to good to chat with you again. Tell us. Um, I'm just so excited about this group uh, coming to DC next weekend, um, and and I know that they're uh, they're still going to. They'll be in New York and and Los, finish. Uh, they'll finish their their tour in Los Angeles. Tell us. Give us a history of the Shams Ensemble. How did this start? Uh, and uh, and and what it's what is the group's mission? The Shams Ensemble actually started after the Islamic Revolution, which was a really big deal because if we know anything about the Islamic Revolution, it was basically um, the fundamentalists took over Islamic belief and decided that um, women were not allowed to perform in public, that actually musical instruments were forbidden, and singing on stage was forbidden. So what this group's mission was, was to actually keep the tradition of music alive in a culture that really, really found music as such an important part of their heritage, but due to the new government regime, they weren't allowed to perform anymore. Hmm. Teresa, uh, we know the group has already played in uh, San Francisco, and I'm sure they were warmly received. Give us a sense of what people will see uh, and hear in some of the upcoming concerts as they make their way east. Well, what's so great about this group is that they're using an instrument that's 6,000 years old called a tambour, and it was one of the first string instruments that was ever created, and so people are going to actually have an opportunity to hear a piece of an instrument that really we've never in the Western cultures have ever experienced hearing. Then the other part of that is Rumi. Many Westerners know about Rumi, the Sufi and mystic poet, who what they do is that they turn his poems into verses that they play music to, and half of them are sang in Farsi, and then they also recite them in English as well. And to top all of this off, they bring on whirling dervishes, which are um, a group of mystics that meditate while spinning. So you get this wonderful mystic music, and these guys spinning in the background. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm just curious. I know that um, that uh, musical independence and freedom was uh, suppressed, um, and it, but the g- group continued to to play a lot of times underground and without government support. What were some of the obstacles in actually bringing the group here? Oh my goodness! Well, and are and are, are they still allowed? Or I mean, is is music still banned or performance is still banned in, in Iran at this time? Yes, they. Um, it's very hard to get a permit through the Ministry of Culture um, to play in a live um, space. And actually, I just found out three weeks ago, the Mis- Ministry of Culture announced that, quote, we should not promote music, unquote. So that is how they feel. Now, the reason why Rumi and Sufi music was something that the government didn't want to or have a part of the culture is because it's part of that mystic realm. And it's like any fundamentalist government or belief, anything that's beyond the black and white, they don't want to have anything to do with. So that um, making a roomy one of those things that is a no-no subject. Now, the government won't say exactly, no, you cannot perform, but what they will do is they won't grant visas, they won't grant permits, they won't. To actually have the band come out, there's nine members of the band, and four of them are still stuck in Iran because they their visas were not um, given to them. So we're still trying to get them to the United States for the other concerts. Now, the group has a reputation for uh, highlighting mm-hmm. the, the female musicians who were part of this group. What was, what was the rationale behind... Having having female musicians up front uh, with this group, uh, does it relate to some of the cultural taboos or trying to put 
push the cultural envelope with respect to how Iranian people view women in their society? Yeah, I think that the Iranian people and then the 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 the, the leaders of the country have two different views. And this is one of the reasons why this ban coming out was so important, because we're going to actually get a glimpse into the other side of the coin, which we don't get to see here in, in, in the United States. So with respect to women singing, before all of this happened, there was no problems about having women perform or sing or learn instruments. It was only until the fundamentalists came into Iran that this became a problem. So Mr. Punan Zauri, who you'll meet when you... Uh, go to the concert, he was really involved in enabling women to learn how to play the tambour, which is this, this ancient holy instrument. And from there, it was once women learned how to play this instrument, then he wanted, them, he wanted to teach them how to sing. Well, the only way that they are allowed to sing now are in Iran is with male vocalists around them. They cannot sing solos and they cannot be on stage by themselves. And that's happening right now today in Iran. Hmm. Now, one of the things you had mentioned, uh, we had talked about the Sufi and, and Rumi being uh, key to understanding this music. What's, what's the importance? What are, what are these influences and, uh, and uh, what, uh, what should they be I guess the listener of the music, what should they draw from these influences from Sufi and Rumi? Well, the wonderful thing about Sufi and Rumi is that they humanize the experience of being alive. Unlike a lot of the fundamentalists which in any, any religion, that you really have to live a certain dogma. Well, what Rumi says is, no, we're all part of the same earth, the same universe. And so when you sit and listen to the music, what they really want you to get out of it is the profound connection that we have to one another, the profound connection that you as the listener will have to the music and the connection that the, list, the, the players of the music will have to the audience. You can really feel an energy shift when the music is playing. Well, Teresa, I am so uh, happy that that you're involved with this. I'm I'm happy that we've connected. Um, this is a wonderful opportunity to to see something um, very rare and precious. And uh, I just want to inform our audience that uh, the group will be here in D.C. on the 12th, New York on the 11th, and Los Angeles for finishing their tour on October 25th. Um, in the last 15 seconds that we have, do you have a, is there a website where people can go to uh, learn about the, uh, the ensemble? I have put the information on my website, tangodiva.com, T-A-N-G-O-D-I-V-A.com. They okay. do not have a website. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, silly me, duh. Okay. <laughs> the little things we take for granted in the United I, States. Isn't that so true? Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today, and a special thanks to our guests, other guests, John Bauermaster and Wade Davis. And uh, we remember, you know, if you'd like more information about today's show or the latest in travel news and information, visit our website, traveln-on.com. As always, it's been a pleasure to share some travel time with you today. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, your happy travelers, and we look forward to spending time with you again next week. Same time same frequency. Until then, happy travels. Happy travels, everyone. Where can you book all of your travel needs at the best price? Purchase the latest travel gear and get the most current and comprehensive travel news and information? Travelinon.com. That's travelin-on.com. Whether you're a seasoned traveler, novice, or whether you're planning a long trip, or looking for a weekend getaway, TravelinOn.com has the tools to complete your travel plans. Go to TravelinOn.com. That's TravelIn-On.com, the traveler's best resource. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? Would you feel scared or proud? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Would you rather make your own way or spend a lifetime saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps.
To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or go to peacecorps.gov. Would it be crazy if you packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself? Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. This is President Barack Obama. In the story of America, the greatest chapters are moments of challenge, when we see people serving their country and one another, volunteers who step forward into hospital corridors and church basements, along levees and fire lines. And the next chapter is yours to help write. Sign up to volunteer at usaservice.org. That's usaservice.org. Let's renew America together.